You're listening to Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Gene Lewin Yang, and Gene's new book is Secret Coders, as well as, seems like you have a new book every couple of months. <laughs> I was like <laughs> looking through, and I brought a stack of stuff from First Second, including The Shadow Hero, which came out last fall, I think? Or last summer. Last it came summer. out, yeah, two Comic-Cons ago. Uh the level up the with uh, Tian Fam, which came out before that, that. That came out a while ago. That came out in 2011. And Boxers and Saints, which came out in two 2000, years ago. yeah, about 2013. As well yeah. as the Eternal Smile, which came out a while ago. Yeah, that was a while ago. That was like 2008 or nine, somewhere around there. Oh wow! Uh, yeah. and that was the last time you were on when you came on with Derek. With Derek, and, that's right. Um, yeah. Uh, where you guys sassed each other a little bit at the beginning. Um, yeah, Derek can be kind of a jerk. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> I think I think you got some in yourself there. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. Uh, uh, not to forget, uh, I guess your first real major book that broke through American Born Chinese, as well as you've been writing Avatar: The Last Airbender for Dark Horse, uh-huh. and currently writing Superman uh, with John Romita Jr. For DC, yeah. art duties. That's right. You're busy. Yeah, I've been busy. It's been kind of busy. It's been kind of crazy. This past year has been kind of crazy. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I, I'm also lucky, too, because, uh, like, recently, at least, um, all of the books that I've put out have been partnered with. Like, like Secret Coders was drawn by Mike Holmes. Uh, the Shadow Hero was drawn by, by Sunny Liu. And, and writing is, is it's, uh, it's intense, but in terms of time, it's not as time-consuming as drawing. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to put out more books that way. I should also mention we're joined by my friend Leonard Wong. Uh, Leonard is the president of the Canadian Comic Legends Legal Defense Fund. Hello. Hi, Leonard. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, I was trying to like figure out, because like we're saying you have so much. The last time I talked to you, um, you were in the process of working on Boxers and Saints. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember how long ago it was. It was probably like 2009. Yeah, when we it was talked. a while ago. It was when... Over half a decade ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been doing the show too long. <laughs> and while you were... When we talked, you were still in the research phase. Yeah, that's and, right. And um, I want to talk a little bit about that um, and how that kind of formed the book um, and kind of took you into different directions. Or I should say books, as there's the Boxer book. Yeah, and the yeah. book. Yeah, Boxers and Saints is two volumes. Uh, it's all about the Boxer Rebellion, the, this war that was fought on Chinese soil in the year 1900. The reason why there are two books is, is really because of my own ambivalence. Like in my in my research, I had a hard time picking a protagonist. You know, mm-hmm. I couldn't decide which side of the war I was more sympathetic with. So in the end, I made two books. The good guys in one book are the bad guys in the other. It's I'm kind of like struck by the idea of like having sympathy for characters in a war? Is it sympathy for the situations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think the, the, the point was, like, I could understand the motivations behind each side of the war. You know, mm-hmm. they made sense to me. It made human sense to me. I understood how humans could get so mad about these things or so passionate about these things that they wanted to go and kill and die for it. Mm-hmm. Now, part of your interest in this was your own background, like you said before, uh-huh. being Catholic Chinese... I, I first got interested in the Box Rebellion in the year 2000. That year, Pope John Paul II canonized a group of Chinese Catholic saints. I grew up in this Chinese Catholic community, and, uh, and this was the first time, right? This was the first time that the Roman Catholic Church had 
honored Chinese citizens in this way. So it was a really big deal for my home church. They had all sorts of celebrations and, and special masses. And, and that inspired me to look into the, the lives of these saints. What I discovered was that uh, many of them, not all of them, but many of them had been killed during the Boxer Rebellion. And they were killed specifically because back then, if you embraced a Western faith and you were of Eastern heritage, you were seen as somebody who was kind of a traitor. You, mm-hmm. you betrayed your, your family and your country and your culture. A lot of the, um, I guess, the religion was very different ends of the earth in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah. From, was it mostly Taoist or Buddhist? I mean, it, it's uh, Taoism, Buddhism, and Confucianism were, were the three largest um, philosophies, religious philosophies at the, in China at the time. Did you have a lot of understanding of that before? Kind of no, not really. I mean, I mean, it's something that I, I came to realize as as I got older. You know, when I was a kid, um, Christianity or Catholicism, Chinese culture, just seemed like they went hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Just because I grew up in that church, right? Any time somebody was talking about Jesus, they're speaking in Chinese. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't until I got older that I realized that historically, that's kind of a weird thing. You yeah. know. That it's only within the past few decades that um, that's even been uh, conceivable to be of Eastern heritage and Western faith. Now, those books, and then one thing I was thinking about when I was reading Shadow Hero, it starts in uh, 1911. Um, and I'm interested mm-hmm. in uh, your interest in that particular kind of point in time in China, because I do see some connectedness there i mean part of it is that it just came out of the 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 research for boxers and saints the box rebellion sits right in the middle of this period of chinese history that's known as the century of humiliation Mm -hmm. that the chinese refer to as their century of humiliation so that's roughly from the middle of the 1800s to the middle of the 1900s and that's when um china kind of it's almost lost its grip you know like uh like at the beginning of the 1800s china thought of itself as the, almost like the center of the world, you know, as as the the one civilization on on, on Earth, and then um, and then in 1911 the the last dynasty collapses, and it's a dynastic system that's just been around for centuries and centuries and centuries. That people really thought, like yeah, covering the whole country, yeah, like it, like it, like a, 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 a this really intense thing, this this government that was able to. Um, Govern over this giant landmass for for forever, and and people just didn't like. I think at the beginning of the of the of the eighteen hundreds, if you had told your average Chinese person this is only going to last another hundred years, people would have not believed you. Yeah. So at, at nineteen eleven, it was almost. I, I think for a lot of Chinese, it must have felt like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Now, another thing that's kind of going through in some of your works um, is some of the mythology and tradition, especially when you're looking at uh, American-born Chinese and uh, the shadow hero and, and, the, and the boxer, especially. And I'm interested about uh-huh. the, the role that that plays in these characters' lives and exploring that. Well, I'm, I'm interested in story, yeah. I, I guess, obviously, as a, as a cartoonist and as, as a writer. Um, and and I, I really think that um, religion or mythologies... Are, are just collections of stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, think, I think it's more than that. Yeah. But I think, I think it's not less, you know. It's like religion is not less than stories. And, um, and, and I really think uh, the fact that religion has played such an important role in, in human history really points to the fact that we as humans need stories, that mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a vital part of, of our species, you know. Uh, Brian McDonald, do you know who he is? 
he wrote like some uh, Abe Sapien comics. He was also a screenwriter, and now he's like more of a writing coach. So he he wrote this book called uh, Invisible Ink, and he wrote another one called uh, called The Golden Theme. So in these books, he argues that um, stories are carriers of survival information. It's the way humans um, communicate survival information from one generation to the next, right? Yeah. And that's why we cling to stories. That's why stories are so important to us. Because ultimately, we want that survival information. I really think there is something to that, you know? Yeah. That's, that's interesting saying that when you look at your books, especially um, Shadow Hero and American Born Chinese and, and the, the Boxers and Saints. Um, because, I mean, these are characters just trying to survive their worlds, be it high school, uh, be it, you know, being in a new country, being it the whole world is changing on you within yeah. years and stuff. Yeah, I, I think there's something about trying to find your place in the world that's very appealing and important to me. You know, that's I just feel like it's worth it's worth exploration. Do you have thoughts on that that change as you're working on these books of, like, your own personal connectedness with the world, or is that a little um, like like do do do, uh, do do like my theories about how the world works change? Is that what you're asking? Uh, not necessarily theories. Um, maybe it's a weird kind of ephemeral personal question, as much as like <laughs> how you interact with the world. Because um, in some ways, you, when this is just kind of a general presumption on, on writers in general, you're kind of working out personal ideas, personal things, personal yeah. struggles within these works. Um, yeah, I think and, there's and definitely there's a resolution. That. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think writing in, in a lot of ways can be like um, an exorcism. You know, you're trying to get at your demons. <laughs> uh, I, actually just, I actually just wrote this thing where I compared writing to wrestling demons. That's kind of what it feels like sometimes inside. Yeah. And, and I, th- I think American Born Chinese was... Uh, me wrestling with this discomfort of of growing up in a in a culture that didn't match, like the the culture at school didn't match the one at home, and and it was it was about the discomfort between those two, uh, and um, and the shadow hero was maybe about I mean it was about something similar, right? The, the, like like superheroes are just so American, and and I um, grew up as a as a superhero fan, yeah, uh, uh, and and it was really about like. How do I, as an Asian American, find my place in this very deeply American, uh, and sometimes even jingoistic, uh, uh, genre? You know, storytelling yeah. genre. And now you're deep, deep into it. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the first superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, one of the things in the Shadow Hero you talk about is you include in the back the Green Turtle. Comic uh-huh. which you base your character on, uh-huh. uh, and I found it really fascinating. And I obviously don't know much about Golden Age uh, obscure public domain superheroes. <laughs> Leonard probably knows a little bit a little, more than me. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the Green Turtle is super obscure, right? Yeah. Nobody really knows a lot about him. I mean, I think I think you could you could write down everything people know about the Green Turtle in like a paragraph or two. Uh, so there's there's this guy named Chu Hing. He's one of the first Asian Americans working in the American comic book industry. Uh, originally born in Hawaii, went to Chicago for for art school, and he was the creator of the Green Turtle. He created the Green Turtle for um, a uh, a really small, defunct 
now defunct uh, comic book company called Rural Home. I don't even think they lasted. I, I, I definitely don't think they lasted a decade. Was they it were, during during the war? Yeah, it was during the war. Yeah, it was during so the there war. there was a lot of small publishers. That yeah, that there. popped up overnight, right? Just printing uh, money. Yeah. yeah, basically, basically. And, um, and the rumor about the Green Turtle is that, and this is totally unsubstantiated, nobody knows for sure, the rumor is that um, the, the Green Turtle was intended to be a Chinese-American, like yeah. his creator was. But the publishers didn't like that. So Chu Hing draws this comic in this way where you never see his character's face, you know? It's he almost amazing. always has his back turned toward which is weird. I, I think, I think that it's, it's just weird on so many levels. You just never see superhero comics drawn that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a weird contrast to like Chester Brown's paying for it. Yeah, that's true. I never even <laughs> thought about that. I never even thought about that. That's totally true. Yeah. Um, now, how much were you able to find out about him? Well, I, like I did not find out a ton about him. Um, but this dude named Alex J, who was a logo designer. He's a comics logo designer. Uh, in the 90s, I think in the 80s and 90s, he did a lot. Like if you read like Marvel or DC Comics, you probably read at least one book that had a logo designed by Alex J. Nowadays, he's kind of like an amateur um, researcher. He d runs this blog called um, Chinese, I think it's called Chinese American Eyes, something like that, mm -hmm. where he highlights uh, both well-known and obscure Asian-American uh, creators, like Asian-American artists, yeah. you know. Uh, so he is a way better researcher than me, and he was able to find out all this information about Chu Hing. He was the one that told me that he was born in Hawaii. He was the one that told me that he went to uh, school in, in Chicago. He was able to get a transcript of his, like, because back then Hawaii wasn't a proper part of the United States, yeah. right? So he was able to get uh, 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 a transcript of the interview that he had before he went into Chicago. All this oh, wow. crazy stuff. It was amazing. Yeah, he put it all on the web. Did he have any family or anything? Or? He did not have any kids, but he does have a nephew. Oh, and okay. Alex J was actually able to connect with his nephew. And, uh, and he ended up getting a picture that um, Chu Hing painted of his wife. He was married to, I think she was a, a Swedish immigrant. Uh, and, and he was able to get a, a, a picture of this painting of her that he nice. had done, that he'd later given to his nephew. That's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, now, one of the things to talk about is um, kind of the struggles that you can see they had in himself uh, having to do these, like, heavily racialized characters within the book. Yeah, I mean, like, because, because there's no way to access his thoughts, because there's no way to access um, what he was thinking when he was doing it. Um, you, you, it's just hard to say why he, why he did what he did, right? But what he did was he took a lot of the traditional... Um, Asian stereotype imagery that was largely applied to Chinese in the early 1900s and applied it directly to the Japanese. Yeah, all the way through his comic. It's a World War II comic on Chinese soil. He's fighting the Japanese. And the Japanese are all drawn in this really crazy way, exaggerated way. Um, now, how long, and Leonard, you might be able to help, but was it till we saw um, Asian, Chinese, Japanese, Korean characters in positive lights after that point? Uh, the w one of the one of the positive uh, Asian American comic book characters that I found predated the Green Turtle. He wasn't uh, a superhero. He was more of a detective. He didn't have the costume and all. Mm -hmm. His name was Fu Chang. He was uh, billed as an international detective. 
He was a backup feature to The Shield and Pep Comics, which was published by MLGJ, which is now uh, Archie Comics. Um, and Fu Chang had, like, he, he was like an Asian-American through and through. They said that in his backstory, he came to the United States from China for schooling, for university. And he lived in a fictional Chinatown. Um, he didn't have any superpowers, but he did have this magic chess set whose pieces could come to life to help him solve crime. Yeah. I love that. And, uh, and, uh, and he was also, and this is a weird thing too, he was a descendant, I think, of Aladdin. Right, a Chinese descendant of Latin, which is a little weird, right? A little sure, weird. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yep, yep. Orientalism at its finest. Yeah, but, um, but, but you know, the way he was depicted was actually well ahead of its time. So, so he didn't have, like, crazy um, yellow skin. Yeah. He had a he had an arch nemesis named the dragon who did though. <laughs> but, oh, phew. But he himself did not have any crazy yellow skin, and he also spoke in in regular English, right? Not not, broken, right. not weird like crazy English. English. Yeah, yeah. So in in a lot of ways, he was well ahead of his time. Um, it's interesting. I was thinking about just how even recently there's like struggles in like how to properly present people. I remember uh, back in the nineties or Salmon Mystery Theater. You probably remember this where they did a Chinese storyline takes place in the 40s, and for the first issue of the storyline, someone screwed up, and I'm making air quotes, on the coloring, and they were all this, like, bright yellow. Mm. I'm like, oh, that was a mistake. Uh. Like, I don't think it necessarily was. At least they just, tried like, to just got yeah. caught. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At least they tried to, to couch it. I mean, if you did that in the 1930s or 40s, you just would, that wouldn't be a mistake. It would just no. be the way it was. Right. <laughs> um, now, you did the speech, was it last year, uh, talking about the, the struggles within the industry even currently kind of resolving um, discrimination or just, I guess, um, properly addressing issues of systemic racism? Well, it was, uh, it was a speech at the National Book Festival, and it was about diversity. Yeah. So it actually came out of an experience I had um, in Minnesota that summer. I'm part of Hamlin University's MFA program. I'm one of the faculty there. Okay. So um, there, it's an MFA program for writing for teens and, young, and, and, and children. Uh, I'm the only graphic novel guy there. Everybody else is like a novelist or a poet or a picture book author. And... Uh, it's an online program, so most of my teaching is online. I work with students over email, basically. Uh, every year during the summer, all the faculty and students fly out for about a week, and we're together for about a week, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's called a residency. So during, during the residency, right before I gave that speech, um, we had um, several sessions about diversity, about writing diverse characters and that sort of thing. And, uh, and we had uh, a university professor by the name of Sarah Dolan, who kind of specializes in, in diversity issues, come and, and give a lecture about this. And afterwards, a lot of my students were just freaked out. Like, he, she talked a lot about the mistakes that you can make. Yeah. And there are a lot of them, right? I mean, like, you, like it's rough. It's kind of, it's hard. It's hard to write outside of your own yeah. cultural yeah. experience. Afterwards, a lot of my students, especially um, the, the folks who were white, were kind of freaked out about it. Like, one of them just said to me, I'm never going to write a character of color because I'm so scared. And I just thought like that was kind of like I, I don't I don't think Yeah, I don't think that was what the professor wanted. The professor actually was advocating for um, hesitancy, which I think is really good, right? She yeah. said that before you do this, have some hesitancy and, and have some humility and, and let that drive you to, to do some research and, 
and do what you need to do. So the 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 talk that I gave at the National Book Foundation or at, at the National Book Festival was in response to that. Okay. Like I was trying to say that I think it's okay. I mean, I was speaking to a room full of writers. I was trying to say that, um, uh, like, when you are writing outside of your culture, it's okay to make mistakes in your first draft, yeah. right? You have to give yourself permission to make mistakes in your first draft. Otherwise, your otherwise your fears is going to keep you from writing at all, yeah. right? Or otherwise, you're going to have these stories where everybody is just kind of like you. And, and none of that is okay, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I've been following a lot of um, the discussion that has has risen up around it. I know um, there was a lot of talk about Strange Fruit, the, the Mark Wade book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you follow any of that? Yeah, I was I was with some of the academics in San Diego when they were yeah, throwing yeah. it around. And yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, I mean, I think that first, I think that the, the questions for publishers are different from the questions for writers, right? Yeah. Publishers have... Like, like when Marvel wants to put together a, a Black Panther book, I think they really need to think carefully about the team that they choose. Yeah. For, the, for the writer on the other side, um, I, I just think, I, I, like I feel like I know how hard it is to write and I'm not interested in adding more to that difficulty, yeah. you know? You know, so I think, I think, I think, the, like, I think a, lot of, a lot of the uh, controversy around the, Strange Fruit, uh, around the Strange Fruit book was really about... Um, how, like, I, I, this is my personal opinion, but I think if that, if that book came out, right, and you could just rattle off 20 books about yeah. the black experience by black creators, yeah. it would not be a big deal for Mark Wade to, to put in his entry. Yeah. It's just the fact that Mark Wade's book highlighted the fact that there was just, there's barely anything out there, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of crazy. We're well, in 2015. Well, you know there's comic called Strange Fruit? Yes, yes, I heard that too. <laughs> I did hear that That's too. That's actually by a black creator. Okay, oh. okay. <laughs> okay, but it came out a lot earlier, didn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just heard that. I hadn't read the book yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's actually an academic as well. Oh, is he? Yeah, okay. he's done like. But it's a graphic well. novel. Yeah, it's a graphic novel format. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, I think I felt like I cut you off on. Oh, did you? I don't know. You got a speech? <laughs> yeah. Um, we were talking about the Mark Wade stuff. I feel weird calling it the Mark Wade stuff because it's also like a weird systemic stuff, not necessarily specific. No, Mark yeah, Mark Wade. Wade is awesome. I, I feel like I feel like Mark Wade, the way he handled that situation was was kind of a model because I'd, yeah. I'd read a, 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 an interview by him and he said, you know, at this point, it's somebody asked him to comment. He was like, at this, this point, it's not for me to comment. It's up yeah. for yeah, yeah, people whose voices haven't been heard up to this point to, yeah. to speak. And I thought that was a really generous response. Yeah. yeah. But there's there's more of that going on in comics nowadays too, where oh it should be a woman writing a woman character it should be yeah 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 I mean I, again I think I, I I from the writer's perspective I think if you're a male writer it's fine it's totally fine for you to write a woman right. character right from the publisher's perspective I think the questions are different yeah yeah, yeah. it's it, it's I think it's there's a weird balance of uh, specific. Um, like an entitlement that folks have over what they expect publishers to do. Yeah, which is something yeah. really unique to comics where it's like, mm-hmm. well, they, they have to do this because I want them to do it. Like, well, no, they don't have to do anything. It's just we can have a judgment on what they do. Yeah. I'd say that really sucked. Um, but they don't have to listen to us. Yeah, yeah. Um, on that note, uh, you're working on Superman now. I am, I am. My <laughs> first issue was 41, which came out in June. 
and 44 just came out maybe a week or two ago. Are you, uh, do you find you're using a different part of your brain? It's very different. Writing monthly superhero comics is very different from writing graphic novels. Actually, it's even different from writing um, Avatar Last Airbender yeah. for, for Dark Horse. Uh, it's, it's still something I'm getting used to. I think it's, there are a lot more voices involved, you know. Uh, I'm part of a great team. Uh, you know, obviously John Romita Jr. Is a, is a legend. But Superman, the, the book Superman also sits in, within like a, like there are four Superman books right now. Yeah. Right? There's Superman, uh, Batman, Superman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Action Comics. So four writers have to kind of coordinate everything, oh, and that's okay. a, that's a that's a new experience for me as well. Yeah, I was wondering if you were kind of able to just do your storyline. Um, it's it's much more collaborative. Yeah. It absolutely is much more collaborative. You have than like that. Yeah. some some parameters you have to work in. Yeah, it's sort of like coming up with a premise that works for everybody in the room. Mm-hmm. And uh, not even just in the room. Just works for, <laughs> works for everybody in the room, and then can get through approval. <laughs> it's uh, it's been it's definitely been a learning process. Yeah, it's and, a, it's also really high profile, which is kind of exciting to see DC. At yeah. least from my perspective, from someone who's totally not in that world anymore, um, you know, you're being teamed up with John Romita Jr., who is like the man for a lot of folks like, yeah 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 i mean that in a positive sense yeah. not in the uh systemic yeah sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no it's been it's been it's been great it's it's sort of a, a lifelong dream you know as a superhero geek to get to write a superhero comic to write to get to write the first superhero is, is uh, amazing what were some of the stuff you were reading when you were young for well I, I have to tell you I was more of a Marvel guy <laughs> I mean I feel like I feel like I grew up in the 80s I feel like DC was kind of dumb right yeah, that, was, that was everyone but me that was uh, reading Marvel I think oh you did, you read I'm DC a mostly okay yeah Batman was Jim Apero he was that, that was pretty awesome that yeah. stuff was great and the Norm Brayfogle stuff I yeah yeah that's right because it's such a weird style yeah yeah Norm Brayfogle was great yeah yeah no Norm Brayfogle was great but I mean I read I read um the uh the Fantastic Four She-Hulk when, when She-Hulk was on the team I like that stuff um, was that Walt Simonson? John Byrne. John that was John Byrne. Yeah, that was John Byrne. Yeah, that was that was good that stuff. Was good stuff. I, I loved the Hulk. That that was that was my book. Yeah. Was uh, the Peter David Hulk run? I just thought was amazing. And then and then I did read some DC stuff. I I really liked uh, uh, Demandis and Giffen on uh, like anything Justice they League? did with the Justice League. Yeah, yeah, I liked a lot. The great Kevin Maguire art. Yeah, yeah, those facial expressions, man. That was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I can see that kind great. of flowing into some of your work, especially yeah, yeah, Chinese. Yeah, I mean, I feel like in in superheroes now, like like Miller and and uh, and Moore have had such an intense uh, influence over it. Like everything kind of has to has to at least nod in that direction, right? Yeah. yeah. But for me, superheroes are Demandis and Giffen. That's yeah. the kind of superheroes I like, <laughs> right? Like uh, like uh, Demandis had this amazing run on Doctor Fate. Yeah. Which uh, I don't. Nobody ever talks about it anymore. But I, I thought remember. it was awesome. It was, who was it? Was it? Did the art on that? It was, was uh, Sean McManus. Yes. I think, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 I love that run. I love that run. Just anything connected with those two, I loved. That was such a weird run for that time too. Because it, it was really was. They were doing what Vertigo would do now. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Except it was. I mean, I feel like when you think about Vertigo, you, it's it's still kind of grim. Yeah, and and uh, and Doctor Fate had a grimness to it, but it was also really funny. It was a funny book. Yeah, and he also the, at the same time did some Sandman 
art too. I yeah, think, yeah, that's right. He did. A game yeah. of you. Yeah, that's right. A game of you. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading your Superman, it kind of reminded me of the um, the Fall from Grace storyline of Daredevil. I don't know if I've read that. That's the one, the Frank Miller and David Mazzuccelli, uh one where they Kingpin leaks that he's. Oh, I thought wasn't that Born Again? Yeah. Born, oh yeah, that was Born, Born Again. Again. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, Fall yeah, from yeah, Grace yeah. was the one by Scott McDaniel, where he. Daredevil's in the armor. Yeah, and his or he identity gets revealed again. <laughs> his, okay, okay. There's about five different storylines, but I think where that he, was the yeah, first one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We actually, I mean, when we were in the room, we talked about that. Yeah. We talked about Born Again. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Is it a, a touchstone book for you, or? I loved Born Again. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was great. Yeah, that's one of the books that um, kind of proved to me the power of comics, for sure. Yeah. It's been a long time since I read that book, though. It, I think it dates well. It Does holds, it? It holds up. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Really, anything that Mazzucchelli did after a certain point is. Yeah, he's he's amazing. Asterios Pollock, have you? Read, I mean, I'm sure you've read that. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, amazing. I like it up to like the second to last page. And then I was like, <laughs> Come on. <laughs> that was the point, right? <laughs> that was the point. Um. One of the things uh, I was kind of looking, and I saw this interview where you, the DC posted where you talk about the Wonder Twins and your theory that they were Filipino. Yeah, yeah. And and they totally just, like, dropped that uh, or just didn't really, like, know because it was the 70s when they first started appearing. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Well, the 70s at that point, DC was hiring a ton of Filipino yeah, cartoonists yeah, because right. they were, like, cheap. Way yeah, yeah, cheaper. Yeah. Than Ernie the, Chan and, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I mean, that's kind of my dream project is the Wonder Twins, actually. <laughs> I, um, I actually, uh, I, I, might, I might pitch one, actually. I've been talking to my editor about it. Maybe I'll get off of Superman and get on Wonder Twins. With, with but, the monkey? Uh, with the, heck yeah, you gotta have the monkey. You gotta have Gleek in there. Heck yeah. I, um, Derek and I, Derek, Kirk, Kim and I, um, so, so Derek, after Same Difference and other stories came out in 2013, 2003, not 2013. Yeah. He, um, he was invited by DC to be a part of their Bizarro line. Remember that? Yeah. When they're asking. Yeah, so I had actually written a story for him to draw for that. That was about the Winter Twins. That's exactly that premise. Like they were Filipino and they couldn't get on the Justice League because no one would take them seriously. And then when they announced <laughs> that they were aliens, then they got on the Justice League, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but it never went through. It never went through. Yeah. Yeah. Derek Derek ended up Derek ended up uh, drawing this um, this like uh, dead man story, which was pretty cool. But yeah. still. Yeah. No but that's my dream. That's my dream project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, tell me about um, you're working with more and more collaborators. I guess Derek was like the first person you really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean I mean some of it is just time. I'm a really slow artist. And yeah. some of it is that I cannot draw in certain ways, right? Um like like with the, with my, my most recent book Secret Coders. Mike has this Saturday morning energy that I just I don't have in my my work. You know, I I think my work is a little bit more stiff. Uh, and and his his is much more expressive. It's got some jazz. Yeah, it really does. It really does, and I think it really works in the book. It works well. Uh, so, are you writing towards like the 
artist-specific skills? Uh, sometimes, sometimes, definitely. Like, like the Shadow Hero, I had I had Sunny in mind. I, I had just a handful of artists that I, w I wanted to work with for that book, and Sunny was definitely at the top of that list. Yeah. So uh, I just thought I just thought he has the chops to handle the superhero action and and humor and drama, and and it turned out. I mean, I was right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's great. I think like. Um, it's also neat how you guys specifically made it comic size. Well, for second, everything is. Yeah, they, yeah. They have their their trade dress size and yep. everything. Yeah, we talked up. we talked to them about that, and they totally agreed that yeah. it, it had to look like other superhero comics out there. Did you find you got some crossover with that one? I don't know. I don't even know how to measure that. Maybe a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there are definitely um, superhero fans, like hardcore superhero fans, who are into Golden Age stuff, mm -hmm. who found like that letter. book interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I guess we should talk a bunch about Secret Coders, uh, your latest book mm -hmm. with Mike Holmes. Um, was that one you wrote for him? That that actually, when I first started writing that, I was actually thinking about drawing it myself. Oh, okay. And then I had this conversation with uh, with for a second where they, um, we, and what came out of that was we should find somebody else to, to draw it. So we started looking around. It might seem like the best fit. So they wanted somebody who was a little bit like me, you know, who looked a little bit like me, but better. <laughs> and Mike, Mike ended up Mike ended up being that. So I so I had actually done a bunch of character designs already before okay. before we brought Mike on because I was I was thinking about drawing it myself. And um, the way I wrote that book was through thumbnails because there's some really specific. I mean, I taught computer science for 17 years, right? So I was basically taking a lot of what I was doing on the whiteboard and transposing it onto uh, the, the comic format. Yeah. So I had to write it in thumbnails because there were very specific visual things that I wanted to happen in very specific ways. Did you have to have like some binary workshops with Mike? To <laughs> no, you know, <laughs> the fact that Mike was not a coder was actually an asset, you know, because I, I think um, you could tell, like you could tell when th some, some things were, weren't very understandable for him, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and that helped me with my writing for sure. Uh, no, this is going to go further. There's going to be more books. Yes, there's going to be six. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. there's going to be six. There are two bad guys. The first one gets taken down at the end of the third book. The second one will be taken down by the end of the sixth. I was kind of disappointed it was, it was shorter. <laughs> I was like, all right, it's, it's grooving, it's grooving, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had, a, I had a debate about that, you know, because I, I was thinking about either making it just one big long book or lots of little short ones. And part of the reason we wanted to do lots of little short ones was because of the puzzles. I was like, like... I wanted to end, I basically wanted to structure every chapter the way I structure a lesson. So the way I teach is I start with a little bit of review, and then I introduce a new topic, and then I end with some kind of exercise that my students will do, usually in partners. Mm -hmm. And I just thought if, um, if it was just one chapter after the next, I would never give a pause for them to do the exercise. Like yeah. I really want the students, the, the readers of the book, to actually try the exercise at the end. And I just thought breaking it up into multiple books would be the way to do that. Secret Coders ends with the puzzle. Is there anywhere for folks to interact with that puzzle online? Well, online, on, on, on secret-coders.com, I have a video lesson. I'm going to do a series of video lessons. Right now, I only have one on there. And then I have a bunch of downloadable stuff. I have a puzzle that you can download, and then uh, and, and some worksheets, and uh, and even like a little STL file for if you have a 3D printer, you can print out one of the one of the figures. Like a, I have a little robot oh, wow. turtle, and there's a, you can print out a robot turtle action figure from secret-coders.com. 
yeah. So so there are those ways. I'm also running an art contest. So if if uh, if a reader downloads Logo and creates this awesome piece of art using Logo, they can send it to me, and then I'll send them. A, if they win, I'll send them a, a little robot turtle. No, you don't teach anymore, do you? I don't. I left my my job in June. So is this like a chance for you to kind of? Still yeah, it kind of is. It kind of muscle. is. Yeah, it's just it's just something I've thought about forever. When I was teaching computer science, I was just thinking, you know, how like because I taught in such a visual way, I just thought I could do this in a comic as yeah. well. You know, and it was it's sort of me proving to myself that I could do it. Now you got into computer science pretty young. I got into computer science in fifth grade. It's the same year I started collecting comics, actually. And it was it was I, I took a class on on logo, and that's really what got me interested. I think it's because logo is so visual, you know? Like mm-hmm. you can, you it's basically coding, using coding to create art. Mm-hmm. Um, so you went to university for computer science? I did, I majored in computer science in college. And yeah. just were able to go right into teaching? And then I worked as a software developer for two years. Oh, okay. And then I became a high school teacher, yeah. A lot more relaxing with the, or less relaxing. For for the than the development. Oh, it was really different. It was very different. Yeah, I mean, as a developer, I was like a low. I was like a junior software developer, so responsibility never fell directly on me, right? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and and then and then uh, and then being a classroom teacher can just be really intense. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on where your students are at. What grades were you working with? I was working in high school, so all grades in high school, ninth through twelfth. Wow. Um. For seven, doing it for 17 years, you find you have to like stay on top of technologies and be aware of what's... Well, kind new. of. I mean, I, I definitely feel out of date now. I've been out of the computer industry for so long. But uh, what I was teaching, even in the AP class, was all fundamentals. And, yeah. and those largely just don't change. Even when we change languages. So throughout my teaching career, I started in Pascal. We moved to C++. Then we moved to Java. And largely, what was underneath each of those languages was the same. It was the same concepts underneath. Uh, yeah. So uh, I like the idea of the contrast of languages between comics and computer science. Yeah. Yeah. It's both composing things in a particular way. Yeah, that absolutely. Have, to have a final. And there's a there's a there's a uh, there's a sequential way of thinking that that goes into both. Yeah. There's uh, what computer scientists call modularization, where you take large complex ideas and you break them into small chunks. That happens in comics as well, right? You yeah. take a big story and you break it into small chunks. Um, yeah. There's something to think about that, how that works with doing Boxers and Saints and how you kind of do these corresponding arcs. Yeah, yeah. There's a little I, bit of problem solving to it, right? For sure, for sure. Like, I, I, I had to, at the outline stage, figure out how they would link together, how the two storylines would link together. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, you're going to be in Portland uh, for the YELSA Symposium. What's YELSA stand for? YELSA is Young Adult... I don't know. It's 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 a it's a librarians association. They're awesome. School They're awesome. Association. Yeah, the librarians. Love Young you. adult li- library something association. I should know, but I don't. <laughs> but they're uh, they're awesome. Yeah, they've been they've been super supportive. They've been supportive of my work, but they've also been really supportive of of comics and graphic novels mm-hmm. in general. I, I kind of feel like the reason why we have a graphic novel section now at every library and at every bookstore is is because of Library. librarians yeah. and Elsa. Yeah. And specifically, First Second has really been great at pushing the work in the libraries. Like, really yeah, yeah. First, like, First Second has been great. You know, yeah. make special 
yeah. mention of Gina. Uh, Gina Gagliano, Gagliano is amazing. Yeah. Yes. I wasn't sure if I was going to pronounce her last name right. Sorry, Gina. Yeah, no, she's um, great. She's great. Yeah, and that's one of the things I hear from lots of folks. It's just how she's able to really get out there. Yeah, yeah. And have these like amazing connections and yeah. And you're constantly touring, like we were saying beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just it's just since the release of Secret Coders, I've yeah. been I've been on the road. Or I've been I've been doing events. Yeah. For about three weeks now. Yeah. But it's we're almost done. Yeah. Uh, and so you have that event uh, the week of November the 6th. Uh huh. And then you're going to be in San Francisco uh, Public Library. On the 14th of November. Yeah. I think it's at 3. I think it starts at 3. Yeah. I'll be doing a Secret Coders presentation there. Nice. And what do we see in the presentation? Um, I, 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 uh, I do a reading from the book. I teach people about binary numbers. <laughs> yeah. I just go over some of the topics that I cover in the, in the first book. Do you have any problems for folks to figure out? I do. I do. With some audience Absolutely. participation? Yes, there nice. is audience participation, for sure. Nice. Well, thank you, Gene, for uh, making the time of your visit to Vancouver. Here. Yeah, thanks to the both of you. It was great okay. to talk to talk to you both. Here at the thank Writing you. Festival. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you.